Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. We have a very, very contagious variant out there. No one in the world can feel safe knowing how many nuclear weapons Russia has. The way Twitter operates. Twitter has been a dark place. I hope it doesn't get any darker. Price of oil is going way up. Slowing economic growth. Large numbers coming in down here at the border. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. News and Views, Tom Benny Clark, and uh, got a good program lined up. We're going to be talking to one of the uh, candidates running for state house in a few minutes. You know, yesterday we talked about the fact that uh, Kamala Harris is diagnosed, uh, diagnosed with COVID again. She was about a month ago. But PJ Media's got an interesting article out saying that um, she is taking medications for high-risk COVID-19 sufferers. Uh, Dr. Marty McCary, the Johns Hopkins professor who mm-hmm. you hear often on Fox News, very conservative, uh, very conservative approach to the whole COVID deal. And uh, he says while Harris is asymptomatic, healthy, and quadrupled vaccinated, she is taking a drug, a new drug that was just approved, I think, in December by Pfizer. Uh, where's the name of the drug? But uh, anyway, it is um, it is for people that are at high risk. Hmm. Uh, she's taking uh, Paxlovid. 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 I guess is the Paxlovid, name. Paxlovid. I think. Yeah. Um, it's for high-risk patients. And the uh, uh, yeah, question is, okay, wh- why are we not hearing anything about this? That, why is, <laughs> again, she's vaxxed to the max, and she's now taking this uh, drug that is for high-risk patients, reserved for high-risk patients. Now, is that something that, I mean, they disclosed, like the vice president's office clo- disclosed? Apparently they didn't, yeah. because the, this article from PJ Media is saying that the White House owes us answers. Um, where, where did they find out what she was taking? The FDA authorized this drug. Um, we have been told that Harris was asymptomatic. It does not appear to be any risk groups. Um, this is what Harris had to say. They've got um, her just saying, I was, I was uh, tested, tested positive, no symptoms. I'm so grateful I've been vaccinated and boosted. Um, I don't know. I don't hmm. know if the, it was a leak. Well, I guess it was from this Dr. Marty McCary from uh, McCary from uh, Johns Hopkins. He was apparently the one that uh, told uh, PJ how, Media. I wonder how he would know. Yeah. I don't know unless he's uh, she's yeah. But if, if she was under his care, you wouldn't think he would release yeah, he that information. Yeah, yeah, he couldn't disclose that. But and don't uh, think he would because he's the one that said he's learned. He's surprised to learn that Harris is taking this. Hmm. Uh, Praxlofid. Well, you know, people can look healthy, and she may have some underlying things that uh, you know <laughs> they hadn't disclosed previously—high blood pressure or or anything really. You know, some sort of uh, disease that you can only catch from a I, laughing hyena. I, I'm refraining from <laughs> saying anything that's not proper. <laughs> uh, Putin who we've talked about earlier this week has maybe got some health issues, including the possibility of people are speculating maybe it's Parkinson's. He came out with an interesting statement today. Um, In a threat to the West, Vladimir pledged lightning fast strikes on any nation that interferes with Russia's war in Ukraine. I mean, isn't that already taking place? I mean, 
<laughs> we're not exact. There's a lot of nations that aren't exactly standing by and doing nothing. I mean, obviously, there are no nations that have said we are going to send troops over, but everything but that is being done. Mm. I mean, Lloyd Austin and um, Blinken were over there. Lincoln, Blinken, and Nod were over there, what, Monday? Monday. Giving yeah. advice, mm-hmm. sitting at a table with Zelensky and his uh, you know, upper echelon. If anyone ventures to intervene from the outside and pose unacceptable threats of strategic nature to Russia, they should know that our country retaliatory strikes will take place with lightning speed, he said. Russia once faced international ire this week after it suggested Western support of Kiev during Russia's more than 60-day invasion could lead to nuclear warfare. Um, in fact, uh, what, what's his uh, the, the the head guy with the uh, uh, Putin's right hand guy uh, came out yesterday and was t- talking about that? Yeah, we could Don't see you nuclear war. Defense minister, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah I, Lavrovs or something like that. Yeah, yeah. something. Very the guy Russian. that looks, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although he looks rather Western. I mean, he looks like he'd be somebody's grandfather. The um, you know, I, I look at this. And I've got to say, I have no inside information at all. This is total speculation. But this sounds like a man to me who is uh, strictly saber-rattling, mm-hmm. trying to sound like, a, you know, you better fear me because I'm the big cheese. And uh, I don't think it's going to carry a whole lot of weight. Well, you always wonder about um – you know, because Russian and English obviously very different language. You know that that's an interpretation because he doesn't speak English. Right, right. And you, you often wonder, you know, who who's writing this? Is it straight from their interpreter or some other interpreter? But but bottom line, he kind of said based on that is, hey, uh, you help Ukraine again, we'll light you up like a Christmas tree. I yeah. mean, that's pretty much that's what, pretty he what said. he's saying. Yeah, and that's uh, you know what. Earlier this week, uh, you know, everybody, United Kingdom and um, the United States were, you know, basically calling everybody to kind of, kind of pause and and rethink what they're saying and and that type of thing. This is kind of a one one eighty from that. So, well, old Joe, he says things constantly, and the White House has to walk them back. Whether it's a domestic issue or an issue with the uh, war over in Ukraine. Joe is uh, known to have uh, foot and mouth disease. I hope no one asked Joe that question because, oh, of, <laughs> I mean, there's just no telling what would come out Ooh. of his mouth. He yeah. said, "Well, actually, the weather's been pretty good here in D.C." <laughs> when they bring up lightning, you know. <laughs> uh, Fox News is also reporting the United States and Russia have carried out a prisoner swap, exchanging Trevor Reed, a Marine veteran jailed in Moscow for a Russian drug trafficker. Who's being ser- has been serving time in America? So we've got a guy that's a Marine that was um, drunk. Apparently, he was accused of being drunk and attacking a police officer in Moscow, and he was been in uh, jail. And uh, we're going to exchange that for a guy that's been uh, selling drugs, drug trafficker. Listen, a Russian drug trafficker that Moscow wants to get out of our prison and back to Russia. Uh, my hunch is it was more than just, uh, you know, he wasn't just your typical um, peddler on the street corner. This guy was uh, playing rather uh, in the big leagues when it comes to drugs. Today we welcome home Trevor Reed and celebrate his return to his family that missed him dearly. Trevor, a former U.S. Marine, is free from Russia detention. 
Biden said in a statement, I heard in the voices of Trevor's parents how much they worried about his health, missed his presence, and I was delighted to be able to share with them the good news about Trevor's freedom. Today, our prayers have been answered, said his parents. I'm sure the parents, uh, you know, this is a this is this is an answer to prayer. I, I can't imagine you know, having your son in that situation, uh, you know, just the the constant worry and depression and the uh, jubilation of having him home. I, I didn't remember we had anyone over there until today's uh, story about that. Was it, did, was he in um, – did he work at the embassy prior to the I'm embassy assuming, closing? I'm or? assuming he, he must have. Mm-hmm. Uh, why else would he have been over in Moscow? Yeah. Was Marines um, – Marines – they, they're the ones that uh, staff the embassy. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we got to remember there are others over there, including uh, the WNBA, Brittany uh, Griner, the star for the uh, – who did she play for? I don't know. I don't watch much WNBA. Uh, <laughs> In fact, uh, I, I mean – Have just, you ever watched any any I, portion of WNBA I, game? I actually, when I knew someone uh, that played briefly in the WNBA, I watched maybe a couple of times. But uh, if she had not been through this, I would I could not name one WNBA player. Honestly, I, I mean, I just don't watch it. You chauvinist pig. No, I just don't. You I, chauvinist pig. Which you know, I don't watch the NBA, so why would I watch the WNBA? Well, that's true too. So. Uh, no, I'm right there with you. I, I can't say I've watched any WNBA. Um, interesting op-ed from John Hood in today's Carolina Journal. And he is basically, no, he's not basically, he is taking the club to growth to the woodshed for a uh, slap down. He writes, Mark Robinson, North Carolina's Republican lieutenant governor, just endorsed Ted Budd over Pat McCory in the GOP primary for U.S. Senate. In a new ad promoting Budd's candidacy, Robinson speaks directly to the camera Quote, Pat's a nice guy, but he's no conservative, Robinson says, alleging, among other charges, that Pat put liberals in charge of state textbooks. Uh, John Hood writes, the ad paid for by the pro-Bud Club for Growth cited the John Locke Foundation as its source for the textbook claim. As a former chairman and current board member of the think tank in question, I feel the need to correct the record. No one at Locke ever said the former governor put liberals in charge of state textbooks. textbooks. This claim was concocted by the Club for Growth, not the Locke Foundation. Among my conservative friends and acquaintances across the state, there are strong supporters for McCory, for Bud, for Walker, and other candidates in the primary. In correcting the record, I'm not trying to change anyone's mind about whom to support. I'm just saying and trying to ensure that voters make their decision in response to truthful claims, not misleading ones. Back in 2014, Locke's longtime educational analyst, Terry Stoops, wrote a brief blog post about then-Governor McCrory's appointments to the North Carolina Textbook Commission. Stoops noted of the 22 appointees made to the commission, 11 were Democrats, 4 were Republicans, 3 were unaffiliated, with the partisan affiliations of the remaining four unknown. Now, what's interesting about this, at the time, the education superintendent was June Atkinson, a Democrat. She is the one that makes the recommendations, not Pat McCord. And, and I think it's kind of just a rubber stamp thing, too, isn't it, from the governor's that's side? What that, according to, <laughs> yeah. to John Locke, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but that's pretty much what he says. Mm-hmm. That it, McCory is the one that says, okay, this is who you want. Okay, as the governor, go ahead and do it. But he does not really have any say-so 
and and who who does what. Well, the other interesting thing too that uh, uh, John goes into somewhat is uh, even then. Now this is a, a little odd, but even then. Uh, the the committee in charge of textbooks makes recommendations and that's it. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't actually go and say, okay, this is the textbook you will use. So um, I I would agree with John. And I don't know that it's going to change anybody's opinion. And I'm not um, chastising Ted Budd on this issue. Again, uh, you know, a lot of people that are for someone other than Bud are very upset with Ted Bud because of what the Club for Growth is doing. Now, I'm not saying Ted Bud is uh, anti, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's grateful for all the spots that the Club for Growth is buying for him. But by law, Ted Bud is not allowed to have any influence on any of the content of any of the ads that a pack like Club for Growth would uh, put on the air for whatever candidate they want. Yeah, and, you know, proof, proof that these ads from Club for Growth and other Ted Bud ads are working. I, I talk to people all the time, and, you know, they, I see, you know, who, who do you like for this race? Well, and, and they come back and say, well, Pat McCrory's just not conservative enough for me. And I said, well, and why is that? And no one can answer that other than, I mean, at the end of the day, well, Ted Bud's told him they were, he was not conservative enough. And I think these ads that are really, really working. Um, I mean, I followed talking about that yesterday. Yeah, I, I followed Pat McCrory during his time as governor, and uh, he's a pretty conservative guy. I mean, I mean, you can't you can't be, you know, when you're when you're an executive officer, whether the you know the the governor's mansion or the White House. Uh, yeah, you can be conservative, but at the same time, you got to govern and you got to get things done. And to say you're not going to compromise on anything when in the executive office you have to, right? <laughs> I mean, unless you control everything. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Of of all the offices you could serve in, um, you are the head guy for the entire state, and it's it, you know where where Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. Listen, I love Mark. I love Mark, but I don't know that he could, that he would use the bully pulpit as strong as governor as he is with lieutenant governor. Because mm-hmm. lieutenant governor, I mean, he's got a he's got a pulpit to preach from, and uh, he can be more vocal perhaps than he would be as the governor. I, I think he'd be very, I, I still think he'd be vocal. Now, of course, I, I say that, but you turn around and look at DeSantis, and he has used the uh, bully pulpit of the. Uh, Mm-hmm. governor's mansion uh governor's pulpit uh in florida very very well and, and i'm not going to tell anyone who to vote for they need to do really research not just listen to commercials but i, I know my experience with when when governor mccrory was governor and all his staff mainly dealt with his staff on issues he was very very pro-business and his staff was pro-business and conservative from a business standpoint and that that's my only experience with him so by the way speaking of that race um Ted Cruz came out. He's the latest national figure to uh, endorse Ted Budd. What's also interesting is the uh, American Family Association. I'm not sure when they released this, but it was fairly recent. They came out with their voter guide. And if you want to go look at the voter guide, uh, you can get on their website. It's ivoterguide.com. And then you can go to uh, North Carolina Primary or you go to the, the 2022 primary race, and then you can select the state. Um, th- there are more people running for this U.S. Senate race than probably anybody knows. Um, in the Republican side, there is uh, Jen Banward, Leonard Bryant, Ted Budd, Drew um, 
Boliska, <laughs> David Flattery, um, Benjamin Griffiths, Kenneth Harper, Pat McCory, uh, Lashia Sabatu, Deborah Tizavo, uh, Mark Walker, Lee Brain, uh, Marjorie Eastman, Charles Moss, Charles Kenneth Moss. But what's interesting about this is... You sure I'm not on that list? <laughs> I mean, everybody else is. Those are just the Republicans. <laughs> but what's interesting about this is um, uh, of the big three or the big four, they've got Ted Budd as verified conservative with the arrow as about as far over to the conservative right as you can get. They've got Mark Walker in the same category as verified conservative. Uh, Marjorie Eastman, they've got inf- sufficient information, but uh, Pat McCory, they've got as a moderate. So I, now I don't know what questions they ask. I suppose you can right. dig deeper and find that out, but they've got Pat McCory listed as a moderate. And, it, it, and you could be, I mean, you don't have to be verified conservative. They've got leans conservative. They've got conservative and they've got uh, pretty much uh, verified conservative, which would be the strongest. But uh, according to them, Pat McCory is, is a moderate. I'm, I'm just saying, I, I don't know what questions they asked. But the other thing is, uh, I, I was noticing, uh, and, and some people are probably going to be upset with this and, and question this, um, when you look down to the um, first congressional race, the uh, old uh, Butterfield race, mm-hmm. um, in the Republican side, they've got, um, and there's a bunch of people on that one, Will Aiken, they've got as conservative but conditional because... They're just taking his word for it when it says conditional. Brad Murphy, the same, conservative, conditional. Brent Robertson, conservative, conditional. Um, Sandy Robertson, they've got as a moderate. Hmm. Sandy Smith, they've got uh, verified conservative. Um, Billy Strickland, they've got leans conservative. I I know Billy. He's a conservative. (laughs) Well, I listened to his uh, interview with uh, Henry this morning, and I thought, yeah, I, I was surprised when I saw this. After hearing that interview, but uh, also um, in Greg Murphy's congressional race, they've got Greg Murphy as leans conservative, which uh, surprised me on that one. But uh, anyway, there's um, so again, I don't I'm you know, you, you just you're not sure what questions they're asking and how they're judging what is a conservative you know, do you have to check every box that they have in the conservative category to to uh, get that? You know, it might be, do you, I don't know what the questions were, but if the questions were, do you absolutely believe that the 2022 election was, uh, or the 2020 election was rigged? If that's one of the questions, you know, you can have some people that yeah. would say, eh, I don't think so. Anyway, with that said, let's take a break. Lots more to talk about, including uh, a Meet the Candidates segment. Celise Carnes is going to be with us when we get back. Stay with us. More news and views coming up. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. It is News and Views for a Wednesday. We finally got a national day that I can get excited about. It is National Prime Rib Day. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, That sounds good to me. Take a look at your weather forecast. It is going to be clear and cool tonight, a low of 43. Tomorrow, 
a high of 67, but lots of sunshine. Friday, a high around 70 with uh, light and variable winds, but uh, lots of sunshine. So uh, coming into some uh, pretty nice days. In fact, uh, it's not until early next week that we're back in the 80s. So uh, enjoy the sunshine. We really could have used more rain yesterday, though. It is still really Yeah, we dry. didn't get much. I, I was hoping for more for my garden. <laughs> Celeste Kearns, did I say it right? All right. Her mic is up, and she's in the studio. She is running for the North Carolina House District 13, but she is not a new name to politics. She uh, ran back when we had that special election after uh, Walter Jones Jr. passed away while in office, one of uh, a bunch of candidates. And she was, you actually came in uh, studio, and we had uh, a little interview with you when you are running then. And uh, I guess she didn't get enough because she decided to jump back in and run again for the North Carolina House. Um, and you've got – you do have some primary opposition. In fact, we had um, Eden Gordon-Hill was with us probably about a month or so ago. And uh, Pete Benton, they're also running as uh, Republicans. And Katie Tumberland is running as a Democrat. So uh, you've got a race coming up. I guess tomorrow's the first day of early voting, isn't it? It is. I'm eager to get started. All right. Let's uh, jump into it. Um, you're you're running for a seat that uh, Patricia McElraft is uh, retiring from. That's right. So, And she's a Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a fairly conservative uh, district, House District 13 is. You live in Elmeral Isle. Husband Rob is uh, ex-military or is he still in the military? He is a retired Special Forces officer. It's Green Beret, isn't it? Green Beret, yes, sir. Well, thank him for yes. thanking us, or thank him for us for his service. Uh, got a couple of pirates for kids. I do. I'm very proud of my pirates. They both graduated from ECU and are off doing great things. They've chosen lives of public service for themselves. You look too young to have kids graduated <laughs> from college. God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> now, this is not your first rodeo, but there are a lot of folks out there that, you know, it's, it's been a few years, and there's probably some folks that are not familiar with you. So give us give us your uh, little bio, who you are, who your family – well, we know a little bit about your family now, but uh, what your background is and why you've decided to uh, run for office. Okay. Again. Yeah, I feel the need to um, mention that first race. I was very naive. I was pulled into it by a cousin who had just been elected to Congress, and he thought it would be a great idea. And uh, so I did run. We finished dead center of 17 candidates. It was a great experience. But Who's your only, cousin, by the way? Uh, Lance Gooden, Texas 5th. Okay. Near and Dallas. he's still in office? He is. Okay. Yes, he is. And a great conservative man he is. Um, but, yeah, I was raised in the Deep South to very conservative blue-collar parents. Um, they had us in church three times a week. And uh, I uh, graduated from the University of Georgia, having studied business administration with a major in accounting. Uh, began my career with the firm I had interned with as a student, uh, Deloitte. Got a lot of great experience with them. Practiced as a CPA for many years. And um, yes, I met, married a military man. He's actually someone that I had met in high school and had a huge crush on. He ignored me completely. But happily, <laughs> 11 years later, we ran into each other in the Nashville airport, and he finally asked me out. Um, but, of course, that changes your life dramatically when you marry into the military. And so we moved around quite a lot. 
Um, we were blessed with two wonderful children who I say are ECU pirates, and um, one is now an Army second lieutenant, and the other is completing the p police academy right now in a major U.S. city. And I'm, of course, very concerned about him, as we know yeah. our police officers are being treated terribly. Um, I say often to folks, what does it say about the state of this nation that I will worry about my son in a police uniform on U.S. soil as much as I had to worry about my oh. husband on the streets in Kandahar? That is uh, well put. Mm -hmm. Sobering, but well put. Now, you mentioned in your campaign materials that first and foremost, you're pro-freedom. What exactly right. does that mean? I think you know what it means. I think we look around today and we realize that our freedoms are all under assault, um, particularly during these last few years with COVID as the excuse to um, lock us down or close our businesses or tell us we can't attend church or, you know, we cannot speak our minds freely in, in, in the media. And uh, I just see it you know, more and more they're being encroached upon. And we see these radical ideologies coming from the left, and I think we just need to be very, very concerned about that. And so first and foremost, I'm gonna make it my priority to push back on all of that and make sure that we maintain our freedoms for our children and our grandchildren, um, because we were born into, you know, into freedom. It was really our birthright, and it should be theirs as well. How do you accomplish that on the state level? Well, obviously, we were seeing the shutdowns and things at the state level. Now, granted, you know, we, um, we have a governor who uh, was issuing edicts from Raleigh, and right. um, it, it appeared the legislature was not able to stop him. They certainly tried, um, but he would veto everything that came across his desk. And if you know that we are short just a few people in the House and the Senate um, from being able to override his veto. So I'm hopeful that when I am in Raleigh that I will join a class that, um, you know, has a veto-proof majority. Uh, but that's really what you do. You just keep working. And in the same way, we need to make sure that we elect conservative judges. And I encourage everyone out there to please pay attention to, the, to that as you begin to vote because um, they make a huge difference as, yeah. as well. Well, if there was ever an opportunity for the Republicans to get a veto-proof majority, I would think it would be this fall, this November's election. You also mention in your materials that you're very much pro-life yes. and that you've served on some pro-life uh, centers. Uh, uh, the Dobbs case, the Mississippi case, is mm -hmm. coming before the Supreme Court. And there are many pundits out there, many conservatives, saying that this could actually overturn Roe v. Wade, and it could push the decision for abortion back to the states. Mm -hmm. um, what has North Carolina, has North Carolina done anything in preparation for that possibility? And where do you think North Carolina would stand if suddenly after the Dobbs case comes out that North Carolina, uh, or, or that the states are the ones to make the decision whether abortion would be legal or illegal, mm -hmm. where would, uh, where would North Carolina be, and how would you like to handle that if you were in the state house? Well, I will tell you, it will be interesting to see North Carolina. You know, we are obviously divided, as many states are, and I think there will be a real fight in the state house um, and in the Senate there to to draft legislation and get it passed that would help protect the lives of our our unborn. Um, of course, once again, we would need that veto-proof majority, and we would need to make sure that we um, have our Republicans you know, maintaining um, a strong line on, on life. Because I know sometimes we see folks that get a little squishy 
when it comes right down to it. But I would certainly um, do all I could do to be a voice. And with the experience that I have, I think I could be a strong voice. And also as a female voice, let's be honest, you know, it is a little easier for us to speak loudly about supporting the lives of children. For some reason, you know, we tell men that they don't have a voice, and that is certainly not true. But well, liberals say that, yeah. <laughs> right, liberals say that. And um, no, you absolutely have a voice. But it is easier for me as a female to be out loud and proud sure. about saving our babies. Sure, yes. sure, yeah. Well, so, Les, let's turn to looking at your resume. You, you mentioned you were, uh, in previous life you were CPA, worked with Deloitte, a multinational accounting firm. You worked in the healthcare industry. As you know, as uh, as a numbers person or a previous numbers person in North Carolina, our budget is weighted very heavy towards Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the last six years, it's Medicaid expansion, Medicaid expansion, and right. Roy Cooper would not sign anything without Medicaid expansion. What is your position on Medicaid expansion in North Carolina? I will tell you my general position is, is always to push back on increased government spending and increased government uh influence in the healthcare industry. I believe um, about 50% of the babies born now in the state of North Carolina are, are paid through Medicaid. And much That's more a, in eastern North Carolina. Right. And that. so, you know, um, I think we've got to, to slow that down and not increase North Carolina taxpayers' responsibility and not, like as I say, increase effect of government in health care generally anytime the government gets involved in something you know the quality goes down and price goes up and uh, we see at the federal level that medicare expense is really what's driving our debt um, so i don't want to see that happen in the state of north carolina club for growth got behind you i believe when you ran for walter jones's seat correct have you had any uh support from any outside groups um, for for this race? It's funny. I got money yesterday from the CPA Pact. I didn't even know there was such a thing, but I was happy to see <laughs> that they were supporting me. Um, no, not from the Club for Growth or other outsourced, uh, excuse me, outside groups at this point. I don't know that the Club for Growth gets we involved get that at low. all Yeah, we get that far races. down to state. Yeah, yeah. That's right. But they did support me before because I, they do realize that I am, you know, pro-business, that I'm interested in reducing Um, taxes generally and reducing regulations i mean regulations especially in eastern north carolina and on the coast are are important obviously we need to safeguard our beautiful um, environment but there is a level at which it becomes very intolerable and very difficult for businesses to succeed and invest where they need to invest to grow and to hire more people and such so I would be interested in seeing our regulatory system streamlined and simplified. We just have a couple of minutes left, but real, you know, bullet point fashion, what are the top three issues that you think uh, the North Carolina next uh, legislative session, if you get elected, what what are the big three that you would uh, think we need to tackle? Well, from my perspective, being from, you know, the District 13, I'm going to be focused on my district. So we're going to be interested in helping to protect our bases there, you know, Cherry Point in particular. We've got to look at education. I attended with Pat McElraft, who has encouraged me into the race. Um, She took me with her to a meeting that the Select Committee on Education did just the other day in Carteret County. 
um, as they're looking at what does education look like going forward in North Carolina. And I think these things are very important. One, we want to make sure that we do not have these radical ideologies in our school, that we are pushing back on CRT as it affects our students. But we also want to see that we are um, setting them up for success and that, you know, we need our kids to be educated properly so that not only their future is secure, but the future of North Carolina is secure. We sure. need to make sure we have a great and adequate workforce. Um, I think career and technical education is very important in that regard as well. Um, let's see. Lastly, I probably would focus on the life issue, um, and we will, I think, have to look at that. And so I do look forward to being a voice in that debate and trying to um, encourage North Carolinians to think about what we're doing and to appreciate the sanctity and dignity of life. I, uh, I amen to that, sister. I, I think all three of those are great. Um, your website, Celeste4NC.com. That's F O R. That's F O R. And I would appreciate folks checking me out. Um, please go to the website, consider supporting me. And for all you folks in District 13, I will see you at the polls starting tomorrow. T- tomorrow, it all gets underway. Hard to believe that uh, primary. Let's do it. I mean, it's, it's election season. And uh, we're going to be bombarded with ads from now till November. <laughs> Henry Hinton is salivating. <laughs> He's probably already picking out his new car. Celeste, thanks so much for stopping by. I do appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate and, being uh, here. And again, let us say, as we always do, when you run, you're making yourself very vulnerable. It takes mm-hmm. courage to do so. So God bless you and uh, Godspeed. Thanks. Stay with us. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. It is News and Views for a Wednesday. We finally got a national day that I can get excited about. It is National Prime Rib Day. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, that sounds good to me. Take a look at your weather forecast. It is going to be clear and cool tonight, a low of 43. Tomorrow, a high of 67, but lots of sunshine. Friday, a high around 70 with uh, light and variable winds, but uh, lots of sunshine. So uh, coming into some uh, pretty nice days. In fact, uh, it's not until early next week that we're back in the 80s. So uh, enjoy the sunshine. We really could have used more rain yesterday, though. It is still really Yeah, we dry. didn't get much. I, I was hoping for more for my garden. <laughs> Celeste Kearns, did I say it right? All right. Her mic is up, and she's in the studio. She is running for the North Carolina House District 13, but she is not a new name to politics. She uh, ran back when we had that special election after uh, Walter Jones Jr. passed away while in office, one of uh, a bunch of candidates. And she was, you actually came in uh, studio, and we had uh, a little interview with you when you are running then. And uh, I guess she didn't get enough because she decided to jump back in and run again for the North Carolina House. Um, and you've got – you do have some primary opposition. In fact, we had um, Eden Gordon-Hill was with us probably about a month or so ago. And uh, Pete Benton, they're also running as uh, Republicans. And Katie Tumberland is running as a Democrat. So uh, you've got a race 
coming up. I guess tomorrow's the first day of early voting, isn't it? It is. I'm eager to get started. All right. Let's uh, jump into it. Um, you're you're running for a seat that uh, Patricia McElraft is uh, retiring from. That's right. So, and she's a Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a fairly conservative uh, district. House District 13 is. You live in Elmoral Isle. Husband Rob is uh, ex-military. Or is he still in the military? He is a retired Special Forces officer. It's Green Beret, isn't he? Green Beret, yes, sir. Well, thank him for yes. thanking us, or thank him for us for his service. Uh, got a couple of pirates for kids. I do. I'm very proud of my pirates. They both graduated from ECU and are off doing great things. They've chosen lives of public service for themselves. You look too young to have kids graduated <laughs> from college. God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> now, this is not your first rodeo, but there are a lot of folks out there that, you know, it's, it's been a few years and there's probably some folks that are not familiar with you. So give us give us your uh, little bio, who you are, who your family, well, we know a little bit about your family now, but uh, what your background is and why you've decided to uh, run for office. Okay. Again. Yeah, I feel the need to um, mention that first race. I was very naive. I was pulled into it by a cousin who had just been elected to Congress, and he thought it'd be a great idea. And uh, so I did run. We finished dead center of 17 candidates. It was a great experience. But Who's your only, cousin, by the way? Uh, Lance Gooden, Texas 5th. Okay. Near and he's, he's still in office? He is. Okay. Yes, he is. And a great conservative man he is. Um but yeah i was raised in the deep south to very conservative blue collar parents um they had us in church three times a week and uh, i uh, graduated from the university of georgia having studied business administration with a major in accounting uh began my career with the firm i had interned with as a student uh, deloitte got a lot of great experience with them practiced as a cpa for many years and um, yes i married a military man He's actually someone that I had met in high school and had a huge crush on. He ignored me completely. But happily, <laughs> 11 years later, we ran into each other in the Nashville airport, and he finally asked me out. Um, but, of course, that changes your life dramatically when you marry into the military. And so we moved around quite a lot. Um, we were blessed with two wonderful children who I say are ECU pirates. And um, one is now an Army second lieutenant and the other is completing the police academy right now in a major U.S. city. And I'm, of course, very concerned about him. As we know, our police officers are being treated terribly. Um, I say often to folks, what does it say about the state of this nation that I will worry about my son in a police uniform on U.S. soil as much as I had to worry about my husband on the streets in Kandahar? That is uh, well put. That's sobering but well put now you mentioned in your campaign materials that first and foremost you're pro-freedom what exactly does that mean i think you know what it means i think we look around today and we realize that our freedoms are all under assault um, particularly during these last few years with covid as the excuse to um, lock us down or close our businesses or tell us we can't attend church or you know we cannot speak our minds freely in 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 the media and uh I just see it, you know, more and more they're being encroached upon. And we see these radical ideologies coming from the left. And I think we just need to be very, very concerned about that. And so first and foremost, I'm going to make it my priority to push back on all of that and make sure that we maintain our freedoms for our children and our grandchildren. Um, 
because we were born into you know into freedom it was really our birthright and it should be theirs as well how do you accomplish that on the state level well obviously we were seeing the shutdowns and things at the state level now granted you know we um we have a governor who uh was issuing edicts from raleigh and um it, it appeared the legislature was not able to stop him they certainly tried um, but he would veto everything that came across his desk. And if you know that we are short just a few people in the House and the Senate um, from being able to override his veto. So I'm hopeful that when I am in Raleigh that I will join a class that, um, you know, has a veto-proof majority. Uh, but that's really what you do. You just keep working. And in the same way, we need to make sure that we elect conservative judges. And I encourage everyone out there to please pay attention to, the, to that as you begin to vote because um they make a huge difference as as well well if there was ever an opportunity for the republicans to get a veto proof majority i would think it would be this fall this november's election you also mention in your materials that you're very much pro-life and that you've served on some pro-life centers uh, uh the dobbs case the mississippi case is coming before the supreme court and there are many pundits out there, many conservatives, saying that this could actually overturn Roe v. Wade and it could push the decision for abortion back to the states. Mm-hmm. Um, what has North Carolina has North Carolina done anything in preparation for that possibility? And where do you think North Carolina would stand if suddenly, after the Dobbs case comes out, that North Carolina? Uh, or, or that the states are the ones to make the decision whether abortion would be legal or illegal, mm-hmm. where would uh, where would North Carolina be, and how would you like to handle that if you were in the state house? Well, I will tell you, it will be interesting to see North Carolina. You know, we are obviously divided, as many states are, and I think there will be a real fight in the state house um, and in the Senate there to to draft legislation and get it passed that would help protect the lives of our our unborn. Um, of course, once again, we would need that veto-proof majority, and we would need to make sure that we um, have our Republicans, you know, maintaining um, a strong line on on life. Because I know sometimes we see folks that get a little squishy when it comes right down to it. But I would certainly um, do all I could do to be a voice, and with the experience that I have, I think I could be a strong voice. And also as a female voice, let's be honest. You know, it is a little easier for us to speak loudly about supporting the lives of children. For some reason, you know, we tell men that they don't have a voice, and that is certainly not true. But well, liberals any, say that, yeah. <laughs> right, liberals say that, and um, no, you absolutely have a voice. But it is easier for me as a female to be out loud and proud sure. about saving our babies. Sure, yeah. sure, yeah. Well, so Les, let's turn to looking at your resume. You, you mentioned your uh, in previous life you were a CPA, worked with Deloitte, a multinational accounting firm. You worked in the healthcare industry. As you know, as uh, as a numbers person or a previous numbers person in North Carolina, our budget is weighted very heavy towards Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And you know, for the last six years, it's Medicaid expansion, Medicaid expansion, and right. Roy Cooper would not sign anything without Medicaid expansion. What is your position on Medicaid expansion in North Carolina? I will tell you my general position is is always to push back on increased government spending and increased government uh, influence in the healthcare industry. I believe um, about 50% of the babies born 
now in the state of North Carolina are, are paid through Medicaid. And much That's more a, in eastern North Carolina. Right. And that. so, you know, um, I think we've got to, to slow that down and not increase North Carolina taxpayers' responsibility and not, like as I say, increase the effect of government in health care. Generally, anytime the government gets involved in something, you know, the quality goes down and price goes up. And uh, we see at the federal level that Medicare expense is really what's driving our debt. Um, so I don't want to see that happen in the state of North Carolina. Club for Growth got behind you, I believe, when you ran for Walter Jones's seat, correct? They did. Have you had any uh, support from any outside groups um, for, for this race? It's funny, I got money yesterday from the CPA Pact. I didn't even know there was such a thing, but I was happy to see <laughs> that they were supporting me. Um, no, not from the Club for Growth or other outsort, uh, excuse me, outside groups at this point. I don't know that the Club for Growth gets involved get that at low. all yeah, in We get that far races. down to state. Yeah, yeah. That's right. But they did support me before because I, they do realize that I am you know, pro-business, that I'm interested in reducing um, taxes generally and reducing regulations. I mean, regulations, especially in eastern North Carolina and on the coast, are, are important. Obviously, we need to safeguard our beautiful um, environment, but there is a level at which it becomes very intolerable and very difficult for businesses to succeed and invest where they need to invest to grow and to hire more people and such. So I would be interested in seeing our regulatory system streamlined and simplified. We just have a couple of minutes left, but real you know, bullet point fashion, what are the top three issues that you think uh, the North Carolina next uh, legislative session, if you get elected, what, what are the big three that you would uh, think we need to tackle? Well, from my perspective, being from you know the District 13, I'm going to be focused on my district. So we're going to be interested in helping to protect our bases there. You know, Cherry Point in particular, we've got to look at education. I attended with Pat McElrath, who has encouraged me into the race. Um, she took me with her to a meeting that the Select Committee on Education did just the other day in Carteret County. Um, as they're looking at what does education look like going forward in North Carolina. And I think these things are very important. One, we want to make sure that we do not have these radical ideologies in our school, that we are pushing back on CRT as it affects our students. But we also want to see that we are um, setting them up for success and that, you know, we need our kids to be educated properly so that not only their future is secure, but the future of North Carolina is secure. We sure. need to make sure we have a great and adequate workforce. Um, I think career and technical education is very important in that regard as well. Um, let's see. Lastly, I probably would focus on the life issue, um, and we will, I think, have to look at that. And so I do look forward to being a voice in that debate and trying to um, encourage North Carolinians to think about what we're doing and to appreciate the sanctity and dignity of life. I, uh, I amen to that, sister. I, I think all three of those are great. Um, your website, Celeste4NC.com. That's F O R. That's F O R. And I would appreciate folks checking me out. Um, please go to the website, consider supporting me. And for all you folks in District 13, I will see you at the polls starting tomorrow. T tomorrow, it all gets underway. Hard to believe that uh, primary. Let's do it. I mean, it's, it's election season. And uh, we're going to be bombarded with ads from now till November. <laughs> Henry Hinton is salivating. <laughs> He's probably already picking out his new car. 
Celeste, thanks so much for stopping by. I do appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate and, being uh, here. And again, let us say, as we always do, when you run, you're making yourself very vulnerable. It takes mm-hmm. courage to do so. So God bless you and uh, Godspeed. Thanks. Stay with us. A collection of question marks. There's a lot of questions. Why? How? No logic, no reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare. Worst nightmare of their lives. This long nationwide nightmare. We'll start collecting clues as to the whys, the whats, and the wheres. Neighborhood by neighborhood. Literally knocking on doors. This is your worst nightmare. The nightmare. It would be a nightmare. Worst nightmare. We will not end the nightmare. We'll only explain it. Explain to us. Because this. This. This is News and Views with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in News and Views for a Wednesday. U.S. Senator Tom Tillis. We talked about this yesterday. We had a sort of a Madison Cawthorn marathon <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> well, it's, I, he's got a lot. To, he gives uh, us a lot of about. material to talk about. That's the truth. Tom Tillis called on the House Ethics Committee to investigate fellow Republican Madison Cawthorn on Wednesday, earlier today, a day after the Washington Examiner broke a story saying Cawthorn could be implicated in insider trading. Insider trading by a member of Congress is a serious betrayal of their oath. And Congressman Cawthorn owes North Carolinians an explanation. Tillis said in a tweet, "There is need to be a uh, there needs to be a thorough and bipartisan inquiry into the matter by the House Ethics Committee." The Washington Examiner uncovered a photo posted on Instagram on December the 29th, in which Cawthorn posed with James Catolis, a hedge fund manager. We talked about that yesterday. So. Um, Apparently, uh, Tillis is, uh, well, you know, I think uh, Tillis is one of the individuals that um, was backing Chuck Edwards, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that's who is, correct. Who was running against Cawthorn in the uh, primary for uh, congressional, is it Congressional District 13 mm-hmm. that he's running in? I believe that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. We just talked to uh, Celeste uh, Karen, who's running for State House in District 13. Anyway, so uh, Cawthorn's going to have his hands full. Uh, the ultra-conservative will see, say probably, ah, see? Now, I, I'm ultra-conservative, okay? I, I consider myself ultra-conservative. But there are going to be some that say, see, Tillis is no conservative. And I'm not saying he's ultra-conservative either. I, anyway, I need to keep my mouth shut on this. People well, start texting me. Yeah, but, but you know, we talked about yesterday – and of course, these are just allegations with this insider trading thing, and or, or but but really, e- even if it was perfectly innocent, to me it shows a lack of judgment. All the, of these things, all that of we these talked things. About when he tweeted judgment. that, I mean, and uh, I mean, he, you got to know a little bit more about life that when it comes to securities things, <laughs> you got to be careful. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, with with all the. And listen, if you're a Republican, you got to be doubly careful. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they'll throw you in the clink and, quick. And he's got Republicans and Democrats going after him now. So well, he, 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 better just, uh, he better just stay home a little while. So Town Hall ran a story on MSNBC's Joy Reid. Joy Reid actually makes Al Sharpton look like a reasonable human being. Yeah. I, how any network can have her on is just beyond me. She, she's... Mm. This is her explanation, her insane theory to explain why, why billionaire and Tesla and SpaceX founder Elon Musk decided to buy Twitter. Cut one, Clark. 
They don't want to just be in the club. They are, they, they are on the, you know, they've been described as being on the outside of the culture looking in through the glass. But they don't just want to come in. They want to come in and be able to punch people in the face and walk around and laugh about it and yes. not have anyone be able to stop them. The, the thing is, the, the enjoyment they get out of being in this town square is being able to harass people, being able to attack people. There was a time when people had the double hashtags around their names because they were Jewish and right wingers were saying, get in the oven anytime you made any benign comment on Twitter. They attacked women. The, the, you know, the misogyny was crazy on Twitter for a while. Elon Musk, I guess he, you know, he misses the old South Africa in the 80s. He wants he wants that back. Unbelievable. Yeah, she's accusing somebody of what she's doing right exactly. there. And the exactly. thing about it is, if she – and it's got to be intentional. I, I, I don't think she can be that stupid because anyone that knows anything about Elon Musk – because I've kind of followed Elon Musk because I've been intrigued by his business acumen and everything else. I mean, one of the reasons he left South Africa was because he was very anti-apartheid and anti-what was going on over there. And – to, I mean, she essentially called him a white supremacist. Oh, just yeah. then. Well, listen, when you when nothing else works and you're a liberal, you play the race card. That's <laughs> all they know how to do is play the race card. And I bet if you went through the, I don't know how many, is is it billions of tweets a, a, a week? I, I don't know how many there are. There's a lot of them. <laughs> if you went through those for a year, I bet it would come up 85% negative hurtful comments by liberals oh yeah i mean oh, yeah. at least oh, yeah. i mean it's rare to see you know well to them a bad comment is a hey you know maybe we ought to question that election maybe it's kind of strange that if you're questioning a, yeah, a liberals yeah, election yeah, yeah yeah maybe we should question that 2020 election because for whatever reason the only places that couldn't count their votes that night were places that were in play so so then they would label me as a hurt making a hurtful yeah comment or something so well msnbc it's not just joy reed this white guy ari melber this is what he said of the elon musk takeover twitter this this really make your head spin you own all of twitter or facebook or what have you you don't have to explain yourself you don't even have to be transparent you could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates all of its nominees or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Unbelievable. Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech, philosophically clear, open-minded helper. <laughs> Where's this guy been for the last two years? <laughs> Were you around during the 2020 election? He, he just described what Twitter exactly. did to every Republican that held office, including the leader of the free world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good Lord. I, it's fascinating. The number of libs are now accusing Musk and conservatives of censoring free speech. The very thing that they were guilty of not just in the last 2020 election, but over the last several years on Twitter. I mean, it's amazing. You know, obviously they knew the playbook. He just recited their playbook. Exactly. And, and you know, tw not only Twitter was doing it, Facebook. I I'll give you a specific example of something yesterday. I I'm known from time to time to uh, post some things on social media. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't hold back with politics. And I got a lot of friends, liberals and conservatives, and kind of middle of the road. But I've shared an article from Fox News yesterday, an op-ed by Dr. Ben Carson, talking about equity versus equality, 
and and just i made a comment it was absolutely nothing wrong with what i said about the comment other than that hey we you know ben carson needs to speak more and needs to be heard and did not one like not one comment and i i've got a lot of conservative friends and i got a lot of democrat and progressive friends not one comment was made on that and that tells me facebook didn't like the fact that i was sharing that article oh yeah Dr. carson oh yeah yeah, yeah you, no question you had to go looking for it it wasn't posted it didn't it didn't make the no. big time well believe it or not the propaganda king adam shifty shift he's out talking about the fact that uh he's concerned that uh this will curb free speech adam shift the guy that is the godfather of propaganda for the left I mean, he was all about the russian collusion blah 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 and yet, uh, he's he's out there talking about how free speech will be shut down. <laughs> Shifty shit. Yep. Hey, listen, thanks uh, for being with us. We'll do it again tomorrow. Play a little political trivia. See you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.